Let me invite you to turn your Bibles to 2 John, only one chapter. We'll be looking at verses 7 through 13. 2 John, verses 7 through 13. Allow me to share this passage. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. This is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch yourselves that you do not lose what we have accomplished, but that you may receive a full reward. Anyone who goes too far and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. The one who abides in the teaching, he has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring these teachings, do not receive him into your house and do not give him a greeting. For the one who gives him a greeting participates in his evil deeds. Though I have many things to write to you, I do not want to do so with paper and ink, but I hope to come to you and speak face to face, so that your joy may be made full. The children of your chosen sister greet you. Let's bow together in prayer. Lord, thank you for the truths of your word. Lord, help us to realize that there's, there are so many around that do not believe in Jesus the way that we do, and Lord, they have a false message. And Lord, many are trying to teach that false message to us. So Lord, help us to be aware, to be warned just like John warned those centuries ago. Lord, we thank you for the truths that we have in your word. Help us, Lord, to have a hunger and a thirst after them so that we have a desire to read and study and meditate and then to enter that intimate time of prayer with you so that you can strengthen us each and every day so that we will not fall away, but always be found faithful, standing on the truth of your gospel. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you go back to 1 John, you look and you see that that book John wrote to really a, a grouping of churches. We don't know which churches he actually wrote to, but more than likely it was what we call a circular letter. Uh, it was sent to churches, and uh, the main thing about that letter was to warn against false teachers. That's really what John is doing in, in all of these three uh, epistles, his little writings, his letters. And he's warning against a primary attack of false teachers infiltrating the churches. And so in his first letter, he wrote, in generalities, there are basically two different false teachings that were permeating uh, during that time. One was that Jesus was not God. He could not be God. Their belief was that only spirit could be deity, that only spirit could be holy, and that Jesus being in the flesh means that he had evil in him, so he could not be God. So that was one false teaching. And that's one of the main things that John is dealing with here. And he is helping uh, the people to understand that Jesus is God. As a matter of fact, if you go back to the Gospel of John, he very much uses the entire Gospel to try to prove the deity of Christ, that, that God the Father sent God the Son to earth as a human in flesh to die in our place for our sins, the perfect ultimate sacrifice for us, and then he received him back into his heaven after he ascended. And so we look and we see that there's ample evidence that Jesus is God. But there were some false teachers who insisted that because he was flesh, he could not be God. Now we look in 2 uh, John, 
and it's really a letter to a church, I believe. It is, if you go back to the first verse, it says, the elder, who is John, to the chosen lady and to her children. Now, last week I shared with you my belief is that the chosen lady was someone that John knew, a lady in a church or in a city or town, and he knew of her reputation as a very godly lady. I believe that she was probably a woman of influence, maybe very wealthy. We, know, we just don't know from the scriptures. And that, the, that she probably opened up, uh, opened up her home for the congregation of that little town or village or whatever it may have been to meet there. That's just my personal belief. The scriptures do not say this. But, but basically the first century church basically had someone that was a prominent Christian in the area who had a large enough home that they could open it up and the people who were Christians, believers in that community would meet in their home. Very, there really weren't any churches built until much later on. And so the churches met in small groups, in homes. My personal belief is that she was a prominent woman, maybe fairly wealthy, and opened up her home and that her children were those who met with her. And so we look and we see that John is writing specifically to this lady and I believe to the congregation that meets in her home. And so we look and we see that John is giving a warning against the deceivers, the many deceivers, and he even calls them deceivers and antichrist. And I believe that we still need to take this warning to heart today. Look at verse 7. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. This is the deceiver and the antichrist. Well, notice the word many. There were many who were doing this. Wherever there was a work of God on planet Earth, there was works of Satan trying to disrupt the work of God. So I believe that there were many trying to infiltrate churches with this simple premise that they do not acknowledge Jesus Christ, Christ being the Messiah, God's gift to man, God's promise to mankind, that they do not acknowledge that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, even though the scriptures have told us through the prophets that that's exactly what would take place. And so there are many. And throughout history, we know that uh, there have been many false prophets. And Satan is going to be doing everything he can to try to infiltrate the church, to attack the church, to attack Christianity. And so what we see here is that we've got to find a way to make sure that we can distinguish between those who are of God and those who are acting as they are of God, false teachers. Well, the simplest way to do that is to examine their view on Jesus. Who is Jesus to you? That's really a really simple question to ask. And it's not confrontational. It's simply just saying, who is Jesus to you? If you ask that question to a child of God, a true Christian, they should easily and readily claim that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, that he is God in the flesh who came to earth to live a perfect life, and that he gave himself as that ultimate perfect sacrifice for our sins to die in our place so that we would not face the penalty of death, which is what we deserve for our sins. And he died, but he rose again on that third day, proving that he has power over death, power over hell, power over Satan, power over sin. 
and by rising, he gives us the promise of salvation and eternal life. That's just it in a nutshell. But that's what we should readily say who Jesus is to us. But if you ask someone who's a false teacher, more than likely they're going to tout the good things about Jesus. They're not going to deny that he was a man, that he, came, that we, he was born in Bethlehem. They're not going to deny all those physical things about him. They're probably even going to brag about him to some degree. They'll probably talk about him being a good man, a great moral teacher, a man who loved all people, who was very kind. They'll talk about his positive attributes, but one thing they will never say is that Jesus is the only begotten Son of God, that he is God in the flesh. So we'll see that there is a way to find out if they're a false teacher or a true believer. And so we look in verse 8. John gives another warning. Watch yourselves. A warning of loss. Let me read verse 8. Watch yourselves that you do not lose what we have accomplished, but that you may receive a full reward. I don't know if you know this, but churches are very fragile. It doesn't take much to split a church wide open, does it? How many churches have split to start other churches? Multitudes. It doesn't take much for people to abandon the simple faith of the, of the gospel of Jesus Christ, being led by the Holy Spirit to have one heart, one mind, one spirit, to live in unity with one another based on the foundation of the gospel. Churches are very fragile. They're built on the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it is very difficult for a church to stand firm on the, on the gospel because, let's just be honest, the average church member doesn't spend a whole lot of time in the Bible between Sunday and Sunday. The average church member does not spend a ton of time in prayer between Sunday and Sunday. The average church member does not have a true hunger and thirst for righteousness, looking for ways that they can grow in their faith. And so, to be honest with you, churches are filled with lukewarm, nominal Christians. And lukewarm, nominal Christians tend to think more about what they want than what God wants. And so the church is very fragile. And so John is saying, watch yourselves. Do not lose what you have already accomplished. Don't lose the simple foundational faith that God has placed in you. And that's what we need to also remember. The false teachers, remember, they want to do anything and everything they can to try to trick you, to coerce you into not thinking that um, Jesus is truly the Christ. And so we look and we see, how does Satan cause disruptions? Well, again, trying to infiltrate the church in some form or fashion and trying to lead just a few to question, is Jesus really God? And so false teachers deceive. Uh, they'll find an easy way into a congregation. Here's typically what a false teacher is about. Usually they're very charismatic. It's easy for them to make friends, so they'll come into a church, and they will immediately start greeting people and talking to them, finding out about them, asking about their family and where they are from, and all sorts of things, real personable. 
and they gain a following of friends. Probably invite people into their houses for, uh, for meals. And, you know, that old nominating committee that tries to find teachers every year. Well, there's a single young, uh, there's a young couple's class or something like that, and they can't find a teacher. Instead of threatening somebody to take their first child hostage unless they teach that class, he volunteers. I'll teach that class for you. Well, over the course of time, he starts interjecting a few little questions. You know that famous scripture that we all quote, John 3:16, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Well, there's a lot of begots in the, world, in the scriptures. You go back into the Old Testament and you have list after list after list that so-and-so begot so-and-so, so-and-so begot so-and-so. That's just an earthly term of birth. So Jesus was not God. He hasn't always been God. He was born. And the doubt begins. Instead of going to the truth of the word, the only begotten, same essence, God. And so we look and we see it doesn't take much for a false teacher to infiltrate a church. Regardless of how it begins, there's a weakening. People quit believing that it's Jesus alone who has the power to save us from our sins by dying in our place on the cross. He is the only one who has the power to give us salvation, eternal life, by resurrecting, by coming back to life. And so we look and we see that those who faithfully believe the gospel, this core belief of the foundation that we have as the church, those who believe this will stand firm and they will resist and they will understand this is false teaching. And we know that God will bless them as a result. So we need to stand firm on the gospel. We need to know that Jesus is God the Son, the promised Messiah from foretold by the prophets. And so we must understand that the foundation of the gospel is the only thing. Well, then we have another type of false teacher. Verse 9, anyone who goes, far, goes too far and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. The one who abides in the teaching, he has both the Father and the Son. Well, there were really two different groups Sometimes they intermingle. There's another group of false teachers known as the Gnostics. Starts with a G, N-O-S-T-I-C. Gnostics. Well, what was their claim to fame? Well, they were not overly denying the gospel. They were not overly denying Jesus. But they're saying, the gospel's not enough. We have this special secret knowledge that God kind of gave us, but you have to know how to find it. You have to know how to enable it in your life. And we know how to do that. And so we are not saying that Jesus is not true, but he's not enough. In other words, their teaching is that it is Jesus plus this knowledge. Well, we have a lot of Jesus plus in our world today. There are a lot who teach that in order for us to get to heaven... It is Jesus plus good works. It is Jesus plus this. Jesus plus this. It's Jesus alone. By faith alone. He is all sufficient. 
We need nothing else. The Bible's very clear. Our works, our own righteousness is like filthy rags to God. The only way that God sees us as righteous is for the righteousness of Christ being planted on us. That's the only way that we become righteous. So it's Jesus alone that saves. The Bible's very clear. We're saved by faith. Not of yourselves, not of works, lest any man should boast. Our faith in Christ alone is sufficient. And so we cannot go too far. We cannot say it is Christ and anything else, some secret knowledge or works or anything else. It must be Jesus Christ alone. He alone is the perfect, ultimate sacrifice for our sins. And John states it this way, verse uh, 9 talks about that when we have the Son, we have the Father. If we don't have the, fa- have the Son, we don't have the Father. John in his gospel, back in chapter 5, verses 23 and 24, says, So that all will honor the Son, even as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment, but has passed out of death into life. Notice that. He who hears my words and believes him who sent me, Jesus and God, Jesus and God. He's always putting himself together with the Father. So John is not condemning us for wanting to progress and to grow in our faith. The Bible encourages for us to have that hunger and thirst for righteousness, to study the Word of God. Uh, So John's not condemning us for wanting to grow, but we have to have confinement. Our growth is in the gospel, not the gospel plus anything else. We cannot add anything else to our faith. Then John gets to a more personal warning. Verses 10 and 11. A warning against entertaining false teachers. Let me read verses 10 and 11. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your home and do not give him a greeting. For the one who gives him a greeting participates in his evil deeds. Now what's John really getting at? Well, you've got to understand the community of believers in John's day. Just like I share with you that the churches met in each other's homes, very personal, very intimate, well, the home was the gathering place for Christians. If John, or like Paul, they sent out messengers. John sent somebody to this church, to this chosen lady, with this letter in hand. An individual came and delivered this letter as did in 1 John, as Paul did with many, many churches, many individuals that he wrote to. So there are messengers being sent out by the apostles, and we know that they have to uh, be welcomed. Now, these messengers, we don't really see it here, but historical evidence shows that they would actually take a letter basically stating, I, John, approve of this man bringing this letter, basically saying, here are my credentials. John, Paul, whoever it is that's sending these messengers out, they are giving their, their signature, their, their seal of approval that I stand behind this man. He speaks for me. But not everybody 
came that way. There are many what we call itinerant pastors, preachers, teachers, and they felt it in the heart of, from the heart of God that God had given them the message of salvation, the message of the gospel, and they wanted to go wherever they had an opportunity to share this gospel. So they would travel from town to town, village to village, city to city, and look for opportunities to share the gospel, to share this message of salvation. And so just like the, the messengers from John, the messengers from Paul, they would find Christians in the community and ask, will you give me a place to rest? Will you help me? Will you take care of me while I'm here? And so out of generosity, the church was filled with hospitality. They, all, they readily opened up their homes, not only provided a place to stay, but also filled, them, filled their stomachs up, gave them good food, and even sent them away with, with gifts. Because they knew what these men were doing. They knew that they were relying on the Christian community for help, for support. Well, John knows that. But you know what? Satan knows that too. And so Satan was sending his false teachers under the same premise. They would go into cities and towns and villages, and they would look for opportunities to find a Christian because they knew their hearts were open to hospitality. And they would say, I'm here to deliver a message and expect them to open up their home. Here's what John's saying. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, the gospel, do not receive them into your home, and do not greet them. For if you do, you are actually participating in their evil deeds. Really? Well, I've got good intentions. God, you want us to be loving and hospitable to all people. So why not open my home to the one who's asking for assistance? Here's what John's basically saying. You've got to understand, you're opening the home for somebody that will not teach the gospel or adds to the gospel, who is a false teacher, gives the impression to the people around you, to the others in your congregation, that you approve of them. And so they would also be willing to open up their home. They'd also be willing to, to help them along the way. They'd probably also be willing to listen to them. And so what John is saying is be very careful to who you open up your home to. Now, in that day, again, you didn't have a Holiday Inn or, 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 or hotels or anything like that. Anybody who was traveling would depend on the hospitality of others. There would be Christians who would travel from one place to another, visiting relatives or going someplace. And they would always depend on other Christians along the way to provide them with a place to stay and a meal to eat. So it was difficult for these people who had a heart for hospitality, an open-door policy for any who came through, to say no to anybody. But what John is saying is, you've got to be careful. You've got to test them. Are you truly a believer? Or are you sharing a teaching that is something contrary to the gospel? By opening up their doors, they're giving the appearance that they're accepting their belief. And verse 11 says, In essence, by participating, you're participating in their deeds of evil. So we look. What happens today? You know, I, th I guess some of us still open our homes 
especially to family and to people that we at least know about. But for a stranger to just knock on the door and say, can I have a place to sleep tonight and a meal to eat? Probably not going to happen. You know, as long as we have some connection with them and know about them, our homes are usually pretty open. But there's another way that Satan tries to get in. People who just come knock on your door and say, I'm a believer in Jesus Christ. I want to come in and share my faith with you. Sounds good, doesn't it? Open the door. Let's talk. I'm a believer too. Well, their belief in Jesus is different than yours. Before you open up the door and let him in, you need to ask him, well, who is Jesus to you? And see if it matches the gospel. And again, Satan's learned to use some of our own Baptist terms, some of our own biblical terms, and twist them and turn them and make little different meanings for them. Sooner or later, you get to know who these people are. And according to what John is saying, we should not let them in our house, nor even give them a greeting. I was sharing the same message at the Beehive this past Thursday. And one of the residents there, after we got through, he was talking and said, he said, I know of a pastor that these people will come to, and he say, I know what you believe, but it's not what I truly believe, so you're not welcome in my house. And then, as they drove off, or rode off, he would get in his car and follow them, because he knew that in the small community he lived in, he knew everybody there. And so as they got out of their car, he would walk up and say, I'm going to go in with you and make sure that these people know the truth. And so they turn around and walk away. And he did that all through town until those, those folks never did get into a door. Folks, that's protecting the gospel. That's protecting the church. That is saying, we know what we believe, and we will defend our belief. We will not entertain any false teachings. Well, you know, you don't even have to have somebody to knock on your door or ring your doorbell to try to get in. False teachings are already in your house. Think about it. You turn on the television. Log into the internet. Read the newspaper. It's already there. The world is filled with the false teachings. I read an article just a little while ago that the number of violent crimes against churches in America doubled from last year. The church is under attack. You, not, you need to understand that. We need to be prepared for the attack. Satan's going to do anything and everything to attack Christianity. And so we need to be prepared. And John's preparing us. He's showing us that we have a way to understand the true nature of those who want us to uh, give them an ear to hear. So we look and we see John is simply saying, test them first. Are they of the truth? Are they of the teachings of the gospel? Do they add anything to the teachings of the gospel? Is it Jesus plus anything else? Do they truly have the same belief of the gospel of Jesus Christ as you do? If they do, welcome to open your doors to them, entertain them. But if they don't, do not let them in. Do not even give them a greeting. Send them on their way. Then John begins with a farewell for now. Verses 12 and 13. Just focus on 12 right now. 
Though I have many things to write to you, I do not want to do so with paper and ink, but I hope to come to you and speak face to face so that your joy may be made full. What's wrong with writing a letter to someone? What's the difference between that and actually sitting down with them face to face? A lot. If I write a letter to someone, I have no idea how they receive it unless they write a letter back or call me or visit or something like that. You don't see the expression on their face as they hear the words that you're conveying. There's no opportunity for them to ask questions or clarity or share their objection with what you're saying. There's no opportunity for you to clarify what you're saying. So a face-to-face meeting is always better. And John knew that. So he was writing this simple, very short, 13 verses in our Bible. Of course, they didn't have verses when he wrote this. It was just a letter that he wrote. He shared the warnings that he wanted them to attend to immediately. Then he says, my hope is to come and visit you and share even more face-to-face. Put yourself in the position of these receiving this letter. The Apostle John is the last apostle alive. He is the last man on earth to have walked with Jesus, to have heard Jesus' teachings. He was there at the cross beside Jesus' mother and looked up and Jesus said, John, behold your mother. In other words, this John became the substitute son for Jesus to take care of his mother. This John, the disciple whom Jesus loved, is the only one left, the only eyewitness left on the face of this earth who walked with Jesus. Can you imagine him visiting this church? Think about it. What an honor that would be to hear the actual words spoken from John, the apostle, a man who could quote Jesus because he was there who could tell you the experiences that he dealt with. He says, I want to come and be face to face with you so that your joy will be made full. Well, John's joy will be made full too because there's nothing like sharing Christ with other believers. So John was looking for an opportunity for him to go and be face to face with them, for his joy to be filled, and for them to have joy overflowing with his presence. Then John closes, The children of your chosen sister greet you. This again is one of the reasons why I believe that the children are actually members of a congregation instead of the biological children of this chosen lady. Just my personal opinion, can't prove it. But here, the children of your chosen sister greet you. I believe that there's a, a church there in Ephesus, where I believe that John was writing this, who knew this congregation, probably was not that far away, and maybe knew members within that congregation. And they knew the struggles that they were going through because they faced those same struggles. And John is saying, those who know you greet you. A sister church greets you. Folks, there's nothing wrong with that. We have sister churches all throughout Knoxby County. There's nothing wrong with sending each other greetings, seeing each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. And that's what John is doing. But we have to be forewarned. 
there are still false teachers in this world and it would be easy for one to infiltrate our church or any church just come in be a good person share that charismatic smile open up your doors have people over for meals get to know people impress them with your kindness and then find ways to become a leader a teacher folks the pastor can't go into every Sunday school class especially in large churches and hear what a teacher is saying and as I shared before if you really look at the average Christian they're a nominal Christian this is the Bible they bring it maybe to Sunday school if they attend Sunday school but did they study a lesson? Well, they were given a little book that had lessons. That's for the teacher to teach me. That's not for me to teach me. So they haven't opened up the Sunday school book. They haven't opened up the scriptures that pertain to that Sunday school lesson. They just show up and maybe they brought their Bible, maybe not. Then they walk into a worship service. They may have the Bible, they may not. They may have opened up the Bible to 1 John, the verses I just read, because it's, it's, it's actually printed in the bulletin, so you know what I'm going to be preaching on. Then they go home, and if they even brought it to church, they lay it down somewhere and gather dust until the next Sunday. That's your average church member. How are they going to stand up to a false teacher that's going to twist and turn the scriptures give different definitions to words that you've heard over and over all your life in church how are you going to know the difference if you're not a student of the Bible that's why we need to surrender on you each and every day asking the Holy Spirit of God who lives in us as a child of God to give us wisdom, guidance, knowledge, and understanding as we read and study and meditate on the Word of God. That gives us a hunger and a thirst for God's Word so that it becomes a part of us. So that when we hear something contrary to the truth, it sends off alarm bells. We say, that is not right. But how many Sunday school classes are filled with average Christians who have never really studied the Word of God and when they hear somebody that sounds knowledgeable twisting and turning the truth will they not accept it? Folks, that happens every day in churches. John's warning us. If we're not standing true on the Word of God, the teachings of the Gospel, then we're just as gullible we're just as willing to open our hearts and minds to a false teaching as we are the truth. May it never happen. Let's bow together in prayer. Dear Lord, we come to you. And Lord, we realize that we're far too gullible in life. We're far too trusting. We hear somebody talking about Jesus. And our ears perk up because we're a Christian. We want to hear more of what they have to say. Lord, if we're not careful, we'll accept anything that they have to say just simply because they were bold enough to even mention the name of Jesus in our society today.
Lord, help us. Help us to grow in our wisdom, knowledge, and understanding of your word, your truth, your gospel, so that when we hear anything contrary to the truth, the alarm bells ring, and we know that we're hearing a lie. So, Lord, help us to have a greater hunger and thirst for your truth, for your righteousness, so that we stand firm on your gospel. And we'll know who to reject and who to welcome. So, Lord, we depend on you. Through your word, through your Holy Spirit, to give us guidance, understanding. Lord, we depend on you. Help us, Lord, to draw nearer to you each and every day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.